Lesson 9 for August 20 through to 26, Jesus ministered to their needs. Sabbath afternoon, August 20. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again. We just want to thank you that in the last few weeks we've learnt more about how Jesus worked, how he lived, and how he shared what he had. We pray that we may find more as we look this week at this special lesson that deals about how Jesus ministered to people's needs. We pray your Holy Spirit will guide us as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Let's read that again, Matthew 9:35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. A retired Seventh-day Adventist woman in an African country did not wish to stop ministering in retirement. Her community needed healing because of the ravages of HIV-AIDS. The most urgent need was that AIDS orphans didn't have adequate nutrition. In 2002, she and her church started feeding the children in the community a solid meal six days a week. They started with 50 children and, as of 2012, were serving 300 children per day. That led them to start a preschool, and now 45 of those children are attending. Other services, including distributing clothing from Adra, sharing vegetables and maize from a garden that they maintain, and taking care of the sick. They started a skills development program for women who teach one another skills that help them earn a living. This demonstration of the love of Jesus spawned a new church. There were five members in the beginning, and as of 2012, 160 were attending. God provided means for building an orphanage and a new church building in 2012. What a powerful and practical example of how meeting the needs of the community is so important for Christians. Sunday, August 21. Interruption for Ministry Jesus steps off the boat on the shore near Capernaum. We read about that in Mark chapter 5. His disciples are still reeling from the harrowing encounter with the demon-possessed man in Decapolis. As usual, a crowd is there to meet him. Eager to get his attention, individuals in the throng jostle to be near Jesus. Immediately he is asked for help, this time by a ruler of the synagogue. Question. Read Mark chapter 5, verses 22 to 43. While Jesus was on his way to minister to the needs of this ruler of a synagogue, what interrupted him? And how did he respond to the interruption? More important, what lessons should we take from the story for ourselves about how we react when interrupted for ministry? Mark chapter 5, verse 22, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. 
So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and was no better. But rather, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Let's face it, none of us likes interruptions, do we? We are busy, we have things to do, places to go, and jobs to get done. We set goals for ourselves and want to meet those goals, sometimes within a certain time frame as well. Interruptions can get in the way. That's why if someone comes with a need or with a request for help, it can be annoying if the time isn't convenient. Sometimes you just can't drop whatever you are doing. At the same time, how often could we drop what we are doing and help, but don't because we simply don't want to? Yet, often the greatest opportunities to minister to people's needs come through interruptions. Most of us try to avoid interruptions and get upset when our plans are derailed. As we look at the ministry of Jesus, we notice that some of the needs that he cared for came as interruptions, to which he lovingly responded. If we think about it, many opportunities we get for ministry come in the form of interruptions. We've already looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. Who knows where he was going and what he was going to do when he got there? But he stopped anyway to minister. Talk about an interruption. So to finish the day, when was the last time someone interrupted you with a need and a request for help? How did you respond?
Monday, August 22. How can I help you? Question. Read Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, and John chapter 5, verses 1 through to 9. In both cases, Jesus asked questions. Why would he do that? Well, first of all, Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded them to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, other, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Notice in both cases that Jesus asked what they wanted, even though it was obvious what they wanted. And even if it wasn't, Jesus would have known what those needs were anyway. However, by asking these questions, Jesus showed the men respect. He showed that he was listening to them, and, by listening, that he cared about what they were struggling with. In how many cases do people, perhaps more than anything else, simply want someone just to talk to? Someone who will listen to them. Sometimes, just being able to talk about one's struggles can help a person feel better. Consider for a moment how you would feel if you entered a doctor's office and the doctor took one glance at you, wrote out a prescription and sent you on your way. Surely you would doubt whether this person really knew what you needed. You might say... The doctor didn't ask me how I feel, or listen to my heart, or check my blood pressure, or... One of the cardinal rules of medical practice is diagnose before you treat. The same concept applies to medical missionary work, which is focused on the well-being of people and meeting their holistic needs. Too many churches think they already know, or they guess at what needs to be done to serve others in their community. 
When we put forth the effort of talking to people about their needs or the needs of the community, it lets them know we care, and it informs us how we can serve in ways that will be appreciated. Also, we will make new friends. As Ellen White writes in Welfare Ministry, page 162, remember that you can break down the severest opposition by taking a personal interest in the people whom you meet. Christ took a personal interest in men and women while he lived on this earth. Wherever he went, he was a medical missionary. We are to go about doing good, even as he did. We are instructed to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and comfort the sorrowing. And so to finish today... Most of us have no problem expressing our opinions. How can we learn to be better listeners? Tuesday, August 23, The Deeper Needs Jesus, as the Lord, knew more about the people than they knew about themselves. There are many accounts in the Gospels where Jesus showed that he not only knew what people were thinking at the present, he also knew their histories as well. First of all, we're going to read Psalm 139, verses 1 to 13, and the question is, what is the Word of God telling us here? Psalm 139, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. As we saw yesterday, Jesus knew the needs of the people, and it was to those needs that he ministered. In fact, he knew every need that went below the surface. This reality is seen in the story of the paralytic. Though it is obvious on the surface that he needs physical healing, there was something deeper there, which is why, even before telling him to take up his bed and walk, Jesus said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Question. Read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through to 12. What was going on below the surface in regard to this man? In what ways might this deeper need be a problem for all whom we seek to minister to? Well, let's begin Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no room any longer to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And... 
when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So, when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Jesus knew the issue here was more than physical. As Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 267, yet it was not physical restoration he desired so much as relief from the burden of sin. If he could see Jesus and receive the assurance of forgiveness and peace with heaven, he would be content to live or die according to God's will. End of quote. Of course, we're not going to be able to get below the surface as Jesus did. Yet, we can be sure that whomever we are ministering to, they are sin-damaged creatures. That is, whatever the other surface needs, they are also in need of grace, of assurance, of the knowledge that there is a God who loves them, who died for them, and who wants only the best for them. So to finish today, think about how much you crave the assurance of salvation and of the knowledge that God loves you. How can you help others experience that same assurance and love? Wednesday, August 24, Dorcas in Joppa. Question. Read Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 42. What did Dorcas do in Joppa when she discovered the needs around her? In Acts 9.41, what does the phrase, the believers, especially the widows, imply? Well, let's read Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And he gave her his hand, and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Dorcas was a disciple of action. 
In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, Acts 9.36. Can it be said, in the name of your city, there are disciples named name of your congregation who are full of good works and charitable deeds, using the same text? The believers are Christian church members. The widows may include church members as well as those who are not members. Dorcas likely served both. Your jobber should be outside and inside your church. Consistent caring for those inside your church is also a powerful evangelistic strategy, as we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as any one has need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favour with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. People outside can then say, See how those Seventh-day Adventists love and care for one another? Question. Read John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, and John 15, verse 12. What is the same message in all three texts, and why is that so important for us as a church to follow? Why, though, can it sometimes be so hard to follow? Well, first of all, John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. When planning to serve people outside your church, you should consider what style or approach you will use. Amy Sherman describes three styles a church can use in serving its community. One, settler style, focuses on meeting the needs of the community around your church. The woman with the HIV AIDS ministry chose her nearby community as her jopper. Two, the gardener style means developing ministry ties with neighbourhoods outside your church's immediate area as gardeners view their gardens as an extension of their homes. Sometimes several churches partner to operate a community service centre outside of each of their communities. In one city, several churches ran a health food store, out of which a new church started. Three, the shepherd style is serving one targeted population rather than a specific geographic neighbourhood. And those details come from churches that make a difference reaching your community with good news and good works. Published in 2002. Thursday, August 25, The Church at Work Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 reads, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. 
Once your church has a clear vision of how it can minister to the community, it is important to develop a plan whereby all church departments can work together in order to make this vision a reality. Even though you may not consider yourself a leader in your church, you can contribute. Also, it is good for all church members to understand this process, for this is about your church's mission to your community. Ideally, a church strategic plan should be based on input from at least three sources. One, input from biblical and spirit of prophecy principles. Two, knowledge of community needs. And three, input from congregation. Some churches have collected input from the congregation by holding brainstorming sessions during which all church members are invited to share their ideas and dreams for outreach and for improving their church within. Question. Read Luke chapter 14 verses 25 to 35. What does this passage have to do with commitment and the planning it takes to fulfill your church's mission? Luke 14, beginning at verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, What king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As you think about the process required to meet your community's needs effectively, you might think, this takes too much commitment and time. We'd prefer to take shortcuts. The two parables warn us against taking the responsibilities of mission and discipleship lightly. They remind us that analysis and planning for our mission are essential. It's a matter of good stewardship. The flavour of the salt in Luke 14.34 represents devotion. Without this, our service, our discipleship is useless and meaningless. We need fervent and faithful devotion to our Lord, and, if we have that, Fervent and faithful devotion to ministry will follow. So to finish today, what are ways that you can do more to work with your church in organising and planning beforehand how you can reach out to your community? Friday, August 26. Paul, like Jesus, was involved in meeting the expressed needs of people. We can see this, for example, in the famous story of Paul at Mars Hill in Athens. 
In Acts 17.23, Paul, provoked by the idolatry that he saw in the city, engaged in lively discussions with the local intelligentsia and anyone in the marketplace who would talk with him. He became aware of their needs and issues. He discovered that they had an unknown God-shaped hole in their lives and that they needed to know the true God and to stop worshipping useless idols. He then began to preach in the synagogue, where both Jews and Gentile worshippers, as it said in verse 17, were. In other words, he took advantage of the opportunity he had and reached out with the gospel. Paul sought to meet them where they were, as we can see by how he talked to the people when at the synagogue and in the marketplace. The masses believed in some kind of deity because they had built an altar to the unknown God. Working from that premise, Paul sought to point them to the God whom you worship without knowing. He even later quoted one of their own poets who happened to have written something true. We are also his offspring. That's verse 28. Starting from where the people were, he wanted to lead them away from their idols to the living God and Jesus raised from the dead. In short, assessing the needs of those whom he wanted to reach, Paul then tried to help fulfill those needs. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, from Desire of Ages, page 365, we read, He who taught the people the way to secure peace and happiness was just as thoughtful of their temporal necessities as of their spiritual need. End of quote. What important message is given to us here in regard to why we should minister to the needs of others? Two, why do we, when thinking about outreach, have to be careful not to forget what our ultimate goal is? What is the ultimate goal? Give reasons for your answer. 3. How can we learn to view some interruptions not as annoyances, but as sacred opportunities for ministry? How does Galatians 2.20 help us in this area? Galatians 2.20, my favourite verse in the Bible, reads, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Remember Your Faith, Part 2. Pierre refused to be swayed by his friends urging him to study at the National University. He wanted to study at the Adventist University instead, even if it meant losing a full scholarship. God will provide, he told them. When Esdras and Dio realized how determined Pierre was to enroll in the Adventist University, they applied to study there as well. They were, after all, brothers. The boys were accepted at the Adventist University. They shared a small room in a house near the university. They pooled their money, but often didn't have enough for proper food. Even so, sometimes they shared their meagre food with others who had even less. Esdras and Dio noticed differences between their former teachers and the staff and students at Adventist University. The teachers at the university were personally interested in the students' needs and shared their concerns. They counselled them and prayed with them. 
Prayer was not just a formality. It was a lifeblood for the school. Pierre invited Esdras and Dio to join him at worship services on Sabbath and during the week. Larger worship services were held in an open stadium on the campus. There was no church building in which to worship, but they still went. Before long, the boys began to understand why God was so important in Pierre's life. During a week of prayer at the school, Estrus and Dio gave their lives to God and were baptized. Pierre rejoices that the brothers once bound by tragedy are now brothers bound by a faith in God that is stronger than death. Like Pierre and his friends and thousands of others who survived the genocide in Rwanda, the Adventist University of Central Africa has risen from the destruction as well. The government took over the original university campus, which was located in a still unstable region of Rwanda. They gave the church land on a hilltop in Kigali, the capital city, and funds to help rebuild the campus. Today, 2,200 students are studying at the university. More than half of these students are not Adventist. The campus continues to grow. In 2010, the first quarter 13 Sabbath offering helped to complete a church multi-purpose building on the campus. This quarter, we have the opportunity to provide funding to build a dormitory for students attending the new medical school and an on-campus cafeteria. Thank you for your generous support of mission. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.